Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor, Daryl Feemster. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord, that you are Father to us all. 2 Corinthians 6.18, God says to us, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Father, we honor you and bless you today, and we thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing in Father's hearts this morning pray that you would pour out your presence upon us. We'll, we present ourselves to you a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, which is our reasonable act of worship. And we trust you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's so good to see you here this morning. And especially good to have you fathers. Yeah, give the Lord a hand for the fathers that are here this morning. And, and uh, you are important. In fact, you're essential. Uh, there is a attack of the enemy. Uh, we, we are literally seeing a, a restoration. I believe, I think we're going to see a restoration of fatherhood in our country. I do believe that. So I just want to speak that over you. And let me tell you this as a father. There's nothing that blesses fathers more than seeing their children walk in righteousness and see what God is doing in their lives. So I rejoice uh, for you fathers and I rejoice in being a father and seeing my children and my grandchildren walk with the Lord. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, We've been in a, a series called the Charismata, which is Greek for the gifts of the Spirit gifts of the Holy Spirit. At NCC, we, we believe that all the biblical gifts of the Spirit continue to be distributed by the Spirit today, and that these gifts are divine provisions central to spiritual growth and effective ministry. We also believe that these gifts are to be eagerly desired, faithfully developed, and lovingly ex- exercised according to biblical guidelines. And this will be the last message in this series, and I've really enjoyed the time and look forward to seeing what God is going to do at New Covenant. Uh, but every time that I teach or somebody preaches or teaches on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and every time they're discussed, someone usually asks, well, well, which is more important, the gifts of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, which is the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Well, is it the manifestation gifts or is it the fruit of the Spirit? Which is important? It's like we're supposed to have an option. You do realize it's the same Holy Spirit that sovereignly distributes the gifts to each one of us as believers And it's the same Holy Spirit that is at work ensuring and developing the character of the fruit of the Spirit. And so I just want you to understand, it's 
It's not about either or, it's about both and. And let me just say this for you that's wondering, character trumps gifting every time. Character is the bedrock of operating in your spiritual gift. And as I was preparing this series of messages, it was funny because I was planning on going chapters 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, and the Lord just kind of put something, interrupted my plans, and uh, he had me go from 13 to 14, and we're going to end on chapter 13. Because put right in the middle between the description of the distribution of the manifest gifts of the Spirit and then the guidelines in chapter 14 of how these gifts are to be uh, operating in the church or in the public, he put chapter 13 right in the middle. Because in chapter 13, you find the character by which the Holy Spirit distributes and the character by which the Holy Spirit operates in the body. Chapter 13, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, If I speak with tongues of men and of angels and do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have the gift all I have all faith as so to... So as to remove mountains and do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. First Corinthians 13 is most of the time I, when I'm doing it, I've done it so many times in weddings that I, I quote it more than I, I read it. So I was trying, and I quote it in New King James Version. And I'm reading from the New American Standard. But the whole point is, most of the time, we use chapter 13 called the love chapter in weddings. And we talk about romance. We talk about family love. We talk about all this. But you do realize it's in the context of spiritual gifts. Chapter 13, the love chapter in the New Testament, is in the context of the proper exercise of the gifts of the Spirit. You see, if love for the Lord and other Christians does not control and shape how you operate in your spiritual gift, your gift is worse than worthless. It's dangerous. It's interesting that where God put chapter 13, the motivation and the character for the gifts of the Spirit is most important. In fact, it's the foundation The foundation of the gifts, the character, is love. So I want to share with you three things this morning. The preeminence of love, the practices of love, and the permanence of love. In case I don't get to them, you'll know what they are. Something that surprised me, that in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, you find that Paul goes from talking to the Corinthians to talking about himself. He says, if I, if I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, if I prophesy, have the gift of prophesy and understand all ministries, uh, mysteries, if I have all faith, if I could remove mountains, suddenly Paul is talking personally. He's saying, if I do these things and I don't have love, And here's a point, Uh, later on in chapter 14, Paul's going to tell them, I I speak in tongues more than you all. And we know that uh, that Paul operated as a prophet. He operated in words of knowledge and faith and in miracles. 
So what's he saying when he does it with it personally? I believe this is what he's saying. He said, not even an apostle is exempt from the foundation of love. Note also that it wasn't that tongues were a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. It says that he was. If I do it without love, I am irritating and nothing. A bother. Paul, talking about himself. It profits me nothing, he said. And that word nothing is absolutely nothing. It's not at all. Never will be and never has been. It'll profit you nothing. It's of no use. In fact, it is dangerous. This means for us that merely possessing and exercising a spiritual gift says absolutely nothing about you as a person character-wise. It doesn't matter how eloquently you speak and pray in, or pray in tongues or how generous you are in giving away your wealth to the needy. Without love, these gifts and powers attest to nothing about you or for you. This could probably be instructive also and probably convicting if we apply the same thing to our worship. Or to our passion of praise. Or to the size of our offering. Or to the size of our buildings. Or the fact that... We know a lot of theology, that we can out-argue anyone. All of that amounts to absolutely nothing without love. So what is love? Love, defined in the Greek, is agape. Now, this morning we're not going to use much Greek because we need to understand this in English. But this word is important, agape. It's the willful self-giving love that seeks the highest good of the one loved without considering the worth or the response of its object. It's unconditional love, but that, that really is, it's been so overstated or overused that it really has no meaning. Let me just tell you this, this love is unnatural to a human being. It's unnatural. It doesn't come naturally. In fact, it has to be supernatural. We learn to live this love because He first loved us. Uh, we were born loving who first? Self. Most of our children, uh, I can tell you, most of our children learn one word first. Mine. Mine. This love has nothing to do about mine. It's about His. It's about theirs. It's a very rare word. In Greek literature, it's rarely used, but it's one of the most common in the New Testament. This love is the willing, joyful desire to put the welfare of others above your own. It's God's kind of love. It's not self-serving. It's not about us. It's not to our advantage. It's all about grace. It's sacrificial. It's self for the sake of others. It's the way Jesus loves you. And he commanded you to love. John thirteen thirty four. Jesus in the upper room discourse, as he was preparing his disciples for his own absenteeism, for his own going to the cross, dying, raised, being ascended back to the Father. And he says to them, a new commandment, John thirteen thirty four. a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Not, not just love, but you love one another, even as I have loved you. Agape. 
that you also love one another. And the next verse says, and by this love, all the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The preeminence, love is foundational. It's the bedrock of our use of the gifts. Paul then goes on into what love looks like, the practices of love, what it does and doesn't do. And, it's, and listen, this word is all about action. Yes, it involves emotion and all the sentiment and all those. It's a complete love, but it's all about action. This love does something. And while love can be a noun, in this passage, it, it's used as a noun, but it's in an active form. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, love. Literally, it's this love. This love is patient. This love is kind. And it's not jealous. This love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in righteousness and unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This love. This love. Now, I'm not going to cover, there's 15 words here. We're not going to cover them in Greek. We're going to try to learn the English, all right? And this love is patient. It suffers long, and usually it, it identifies with people. It suffers long with people. It's long-tempered. Now, remember, it's in the context of the use of the gifts. So this love is patient. It's slow to react in a judgmental way when people use a gift poorly or in an embarrassing way. This love is kind. It's active goodwill. You know, you can be patient and be mean at the same time. This love is kind. It's useful, self-serving. Not self-serving. Self, it's useful, serving the others and gracious. It's words of, words of affirmation go much further than condemnation and critique. In the whole idea of gifts. It's not jealous. It's not motivated by rivalry or competition. This love rejoices at the success of others. It does not brag. It doesn't parade itself. My Texas word is it doesn't strut. This is the opposite of jealousy, this not bragging. This is the opposite of jealousy. You see, jealousy is about not getting what somebody else has or having what somebody else has. Bragging is strutting about what you have that others don't. This love doesn't brag. This love is not arrogant. It's not proud or puffed up or full of themselves. It's amazing how easy it is for us to be proud of what we're gifted in. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul had already addressed it. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? And then if you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So you have that gift, that gift that everybody wants, that gift that, that everybody notices, that gift that is, seems to be more spiritual or more supernatural. Well, here's the point. Who gave it? There's no room for pride in the spiritual gifts. Arrogance. Does not act unbecomingly. It's not rude. This word means to be pushy or demanding. When it comes to using their gift. In other words, my gifts are more important. You ought to want my gift. And, and I'll, get, I'll get offended if you don't let me. Because my gift. 
not rude, not, does not seek its own, doesn't insist on its own way. Even when you may legitimately be entitled to something, this love defers, it takes the low road, it takes second chair. This love asks, how might my gift be used to affirm and praise and promote someone else rather than me or the body of Christ? It's not provoked. This love is not provoked. It's not easily upset, irritated, or angered. In other words, this love doesn't have a secret button that if you push it, everything goes wild. does not take into account a wrong suffered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That word account there is a bookkeeping term. In other words, love, this love doesn't keep accounts. You've got to hear this statement. Love does not forgive and forget, but rather remembers and still forgives. Let me say it again. Love does not forgive and forget. This love rather remembers and still forgives. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Doesn't delight in failures or faults of sin. Listen to me. If you look for fault, you'll find it. You'll always find it. Some people feel righteous when others aren't. When others fail. When others fall. This love doesn't. In fact, this love... Rejoices with the truth. Love, this love celebrates what is right and good and godly. Then it says this. This love bears all things. It covers, guards, and protects. This love believes all things. It trusts. This love hopes all things. It looks for anticipating future grace. This love endures all things. It perseveres. It doesn't give up. It's a military term. To hold the line. To hold the front line. To stay in vital position. This love doesn't move. Love bears what otherwise is unbearable. This love believes what is sometimes unbelievable. This love hopes when things seem hopeless. This love endures when anything less than love would give up. And for me, it just seems like an order. After it bears and tries to protect, it believes. And after it believes, it hopes, looking for further grace. And after it hopes, it endures. And there's no after, after endurance. Because this love lasts. It lasts. We come to the permanence of this love. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. This love never fails. But if there are gifts of the prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, mark that. When the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, then, when the perfect comes face to face. Now I know in part, but then, when the perfect comes, I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. 
But the greatest of these is love. When the perfect comes, and this is the big debate about the gifts of the Spirit. This is the verse that's used by those that say there's, they all passed away. When the perfect comes, so that when the perfect canon came, you don't know, you no longer need the gifts. I don't believe that what the word, the Greek word means here. Now let me just show it to you. The Greek word for perfect is totelion. Totelion. The word, the little Greek word is the final, the purpose, the finish, the complete. In other words, when the perfect one in the perfect place with the perfect people come. When the perfect one in the perfected place with the perfected people come, there's no need of gifts. Well, what will be left? Faith? Hope? Not necessarily. But love permanently. For God is love. Guess what you're going to be your daylight in heaven? Love. You know what's going to... You're not going to need the lights because the reality. Can you imagine the brightness of His love? We know it from a cross. One day we'll know it from a presence. This love. When the perfect come, and I believe it's the perfect one. When He comes, the permanent is going to be agape love. Now here we are. Ending a series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and what God wants to tell us more, I think, than anything else. Right between the declaration and the distribution of the gifts and the guidelines of how they're to be operating in the church, Paul paints a portrait of a life, the character and the kind of life that the gifts will operate in. And that life is a life of agape love. And as I read over it and over it and over it, as I prepared this message I began to see these words were descriptive of actions, actions that came from a person. If you could just see Paul painting a picture of a person that's sitting, and he's, he's painting it in all of its glory as he's seeing it in his, in his eyes. And then I realized that Jesus was the person he was painting. So let's take that verse. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 13. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind and is not jealous. Jesus does not brag and he's not arrogant. Jesus does not act unbecomingly. He does not seek his own. Jesus is not provoked and he doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Jesus does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but He rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endures all things. The reality of it is that Jesus is the perfect picture of the character that would operate in every gift. As I read it, Here's the thing that came to me. Can you put your name there? Daryl is patient. Connie is kind. Daryl's not jealous. Connie doesn't brag. And you see what I'm saying? In other words, put your name. Can you? Well, if I'm arrogant and if I'm, uh, you know, 
if I'm not if I'm impatient and I'm not kind and I'm not and I'm continue to be jealous and I'm strutting around and I'm arrogant about my gift and I'm I'm rude and I'm I'm not living in this. When I give up at the first sight of trouble or the first accusation. You see, I think Paul is pinning all of these words that we can get a picture that we can step into. Let me just say this to you. You can. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, you can love this way. Not in your own power, not in your own ability. And and I believe it's going to be a process for you getting out of the way and allowing Him to love through you. But in the ability of the one who lives in you, we have no excuse for not loving God and loving people. Because Romans 5, 5 says, Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 says that we are taught by God to love one another. So in chapter 14, verse 1, Paul says to us, pursue love. Pursue love. Desire gifts. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to invite the ministry team to come. Ministry team is going to be on either side. The front is here. If anything you want to pray personally, or if you want to come and kneel, whatever, whatever this this place up here is just, just for you. Ministry team will be available on either side. The worship center. If you have needs that you need to be uh, to join in prayer with them, they can be that connection point. Let me let me share one last story. I was 20 years old. Connie and I, I was finishing college with a religious degree, and I was wanting to go to the pastorate. And uh, I remember we were praying hard that God would show us what place and those kind of things. And, and I remember the day my dad said something to me that I actually listened to. I heard it. It became a part of me. As we were young, trying to get into the pastorate, and we believed called by God... My dad said, Daryl, what matters in ministry, in church, is love. Love will make the way. I got it. I understood that. It made sense to me. And I, I changed the way I was praying. Instead of praying for the place that I was to go, I began to ask God, Lord, give me your love for people and then give me a people to love Lord give me love before you give me a place I pastored four churches in 50 years and every time God has answered that prayer and he continues to do so I still pray it Lord, give me a love for people and give me a people to love. I invite you this morning to allow the person of the Holy Spirit to just baptize you afresh and anew, to shed abroad in your heart the very love of God that He has for you 
and that He has for others. Would you allow the Holy Spirit to infill you, to enable you, to empower you, to enrich you with God's love? We're going to give you opportunity to respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing. We're going to take time. Megan's going to sing in just a moment, but we're going to take time. And I'm just going to invite you to invite Him to pour out His love on us this morning. So, Father... Thank You that through the Son You gave us the Holy Spirit and He's been poured out on flesh, on all flesh. Holy Spirit, we invite You to wash us, envelop us, bathe us, Lord, enable us. Holy Spirit, we invite You to fill us up, endue us with Your love and power and accomplish Your work. Develop our character to be Your people for this time and for this place. Do it now. Do it now. Do it now for Jesus' sake, our good and God's glory. Amen. We're going to invite you to respond however God is saying for you to do that. The altar is open. The ministry teams here available. As Megan sings, we invite you to respond. Many waters cannot quench your love. Rivers cannot overwhelm it. Oceans of fear cannot conceal your love for me. Oh, your love for me. I find peace And I know that there 
Thank you for listening to this week's message. 